Section 22 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox. Dudley and the Greased Pig. Boyle stricken Job had his comforters, who, despite his timely injunction, Oh, lay your hands upon your mouths, and thereby show your wisdom, would still drum in his ear. Hear us, for we will speak. Poor old Falstaff had his evil genius and Bardolph, his impecunious follower, with his, Lend me a shilling. And I have my burdensome Jim Dudley, with his, Let me tell you a story. I was kept awake last night, listening to his crazy yarn about the greased pig, as if I cared anything about his villainous adventures. Oh, yes, that scrape with the greased pig. I never told you about it, eh? It's worth hearing. That was a tearing old race. And I came mighty nigh getting shoved out of the village on account of it, too. Now, I can tell you. Down on me... Well, I reckon you'd think so if you heard the hollering that was going on for a while arter that race. Some crying one thin and some another. Tarred and feather the cheat, one would holler. Lynch the blamed humbug, another would shout. Put him in a sack and hissed him over the bridge, would come from another quarter. A doctor was never so down on a patent medicine as they were on me arter that race, especially Parson Coolridge. He was one of the principal sufferers, you see. It was May Day amongst them, and the whole village seemed to be out there enjoying themselves. They had sack races and wheelbarrow races. That was the day blindfold Tom Moody ran the wheelbarrow through the grocer's window, and old Shulkin knocked him down with a ham, and a dog ran away with it. He charged Tom with the ham and the bill, along with a broken winder. They had a greased pole standing there with a ten-dollar greenback tacked on top of it, and no person could get within ten feet of the bill. The hungry crowds were standing round all day, gazing longingly up at the fluttering greenback, like dogs at a coon in a treetop. I didn't try the pole, but when they brought out the greased pig, a great slab-sided critter just in good condition for racing, I got sort of interested in the performance. His tail was more than a foot long, and it was greased until it would slip through a feller's fingers like a newly caught eel. Several of the boys started out of him. they just made one catch, and before they were certain whether they had hold of it, they would go one way, and the hog would go another, then the crowd would holler. I was standing there leaning over the fence, watching of him for some time, and I see the pig was in the habit of forming a sort of ring with his tail. Leastwise, he'd lap it over so that it almost formed a knot. All it lacked was the end wanting drawn through. I calculated that a feller with pooty nimble fingers could make a tie by just slipping his fingers through the ring and hauling the end of the tail through. That would make a plaguey good knot and prevent his hand from slipping off. Arter to think it over it some time, I concluded, if I could get up a bet that would pay for the hardships that a feller would be likely to experience. I would try a catch anyhow. So I says to Jake Swayze, who stood alongside of me, Jake, 
I believe that I can hold that pig until he gins out. Hold, he sees, surprised like, and raising his eyebrows just that way. What's the matter, ye? Ain't you sleeped well? You might as well try to hold old Nick by the tail, as that big, slab-sided critter. Well, now, just wait a bit, says I. So I went on and told him what I calculated to do, and arter he looked a while, he says, Wow, go ahead, Jim. I'll back ye. I reckon we can get any amount of odds so long as we keep the not business to ourselves. So pulling off my coat, I gin it to Jake to hold, and jumping on the fence, I hollered, I'll bet ten to twenty that I can freeze to the pig's tail till he gins out. Great fish hooks, you ought to have seen them rustling towards me. I couldn't see anything but hands for five minutes, as they were holding em up, and a gig and signalin' and a hollerin'. I'll take that bet, Dudley, I'll take that bet. I got rid of what money I had about me pooty soon, and Jake Swayze was just a spreadin' out his greenbacks like a paymaster, and arter he exhausted his treasury, he started arter his sister to get what money she had. I hollered to him to come back. I was fearing he'd tell her about the knot business, but he wasn't no fool, and know too well what gals are to trust her with a, any paying secret. Old Judge Perkins was thar, jolly as a boy on the last day of school. Well, he was holding of the stakes, and his pockets were crammed chock full of greenbacks. He was a pooty good friend of mine, and couldn't conceive how in thunder I was a gwine to get my money back. Beckon of me one side. Dudley, says he, kind of low that way, and confidentially like. I know you're as hard to catch as an old trout with three broken hooks in its gill, but I can't help thinking a greased pig's tail is a mighty slippery foundation to build hopes on. Never mind, Judge, says I, winking. I can see my way through. Yes, Dudley, he says, a shaking of his head dubious-like. That's what the fly says when he's uh, buttin' his head against the winder. Well, says I, without the tail pulls out, I collate to travel mighty close in the wake of that swine for the next half hour. And with that, I moved off to where the pig was standin' and listenin' to all that was goin' on. I fooled round him a little until I got betwixt him and the crowd. And when he flapped his tail over as I was tellin' ye, I made one desperate lunge and made a go of it the first time. I just hauled the end through while he was turning round, and grabbing hold above my hand, rolled it down into the tightest knot you ever sought eyes on. It was about two inches from the end of the tail, and he scalloped round so amazing lively nobody could see it. The crowd allowed I was hanging on the straight tail, and they didn't know what to make of the performance anyhow. Go it, piggy, I says to myself, just that way. I guess it's only a question of endurance now, as the gal said when she had the flea under the hot flat iron. The gate was open and ordered a few circles round the lot. The hog painted for it, and away he went. Pig first did I order. He ran helter-skelter under old Mother Sheehan, the fruit woman, just as she was coming through the gateway with a big basket of apples in each arm. I did hate like snakes to hoist the old lady. Bounce me if I didn't. I'd rather run round the mountain than do it, cause you see, she had just been getting off a bed of sickness that came nigh shrouding her, and she wasn't prepared for a panic by any means. 
I did my best to swing the critter round and get him off the notion of going through, but his mind was made up. There was plenty of room outside for him to pass along without disturbing the old lady. But a hog is a hog, you know. Contrary, the world over. Besides, he allowed he could brush me off by the operation. But I wasn't so easily got rid of. The money was up, you see, and I had no choice but to follow where he led and stick to the rooter till he get out. Where thou goest, I will go. I seized to myself remember the passage in the scriptures, and ducking my head to follow him. I scratched down as low as I could, and keep on my feet, for I calculated to do my best. The old woman would get elevated pretty lively. She hollered as though a whole menagerie, elephants, kangaroos, snakes and all, had broke loose. Her sight wasn't any too clear, and the whole proceedings had come upon her so sudden that she didn't exactly know what sort of an animal was there. She would have been satisfied if it was a hog, if it hadn't taken so long to get through. I followed so close to his hams that she reckoned we both made one animal. The hog Jenna snort when he started in to run the blockade, and she sees to herself, Largo was a big hog. About the time she reckoned he had got out of the other side, I come a-bumpin' and a-boomin' along in my shirt-sleeves, and Jenna a second boost, throwing the old woman completely off her pins and out of her calculations at once. She did holler good. There's no mistake about that. The crowd hurrayed and applauded. The older ones, of course, sympathized with the poor old woman. They could do nothing more, because the whole catastrophe come as sudden as an earthquake, and nobody seemed to be to blame. I wasn't, and they all could see that plain enough. The youngins went for the scattered apples, but the pig and I kept right on attending to business. Now and again he doubled back towards the crowd, and they commenced scattering every which way, tramping on each other's feet. So I grope, the cashiered man of war's man, stepped on Pat Cronin's bunion, and he responded by fetching the old salt a welt in the burr of his ear, and at it they went, tooth and nail, right thar. If you stopped to see fair play, but the heft of the crowd, about three hundred, kept right on arter me and the hog. Jake Swayze managed to get up pooting eye to us once and hollered, Are you making it, Jim? Frustrate, I answered. I calculate to stick to the swine through bush and bramble till I tire him out. That's the feeling, he shouted. And with that we left him behind. The old judge was a-puffin' and a-blowin', strivin' his best to keep up. And for some time he actually led the crowd. We didn't hold on very long, but gradually sank to the rear. Rod Munyon, the tanner, stumbled and fell while crossing the street. His false teeth dropped out into the dirt, and while he was scrambling on all fours to get him again, a feller named Welsh, who was clattering past, slapped his foot down and bent the plate out of all shape. Munyon snatched him up again as quick as the foot riz and wiping him on his overalls as he ran, chucked him back into his mouth again, all twisted as they were. They did look awful, though, sticking straight out from his mouth and pressing his lip-chalk up against his nose. You couldn't understand what he was saying any more than if he was Chinook. Bow-legged Spinney, the cabbage and tailor, was thar. He met the crowd while carrying home Squire Lockwood's new suit, and catching the excitement of the moment, tossed the package into Slauson's yard, and it bounded into the well quicker than scat. He didn't know it, though, but hollered to the old woman as he ran past the window, to look out of the package till he got back. 
not seeing any package, she allowed he was crazy as a cow with her head stuck in a barrel, and flew the bull out of her doors pooty lively. He had been once to the lunatic asylum, you see, and they were still suspicious of him. The crowd thought to head us off by taking down a narrow lane, and it was a while they were in that that they began to surge ahead at Judge Perkins. He was awful quick-tempered, and Pooty conceded, and when Bo Legged Spiny was elbowing past him, he got mad. Catching the poor stitcher by the coat-tail, he hollered, What? A miserable thread-needle machine claiming precedence? And with that he slung him more than ten feet, landing him on his back in a nook of the fence. That was the day they buried old Mrs. Redpath, that the doctors disagreed over. Dr. Ludy had been doctoring her for some time for bone disease. He said her backbone wore decaying. He didn't make much of it, though. And they got another doctor. The new feller said he understood the case thoroughly. He ridiculed the idea of bone disease and went to work doctoring for the liver complaint. He said it had stopped working and he was going to get it started again. I reckon he'd have accomplished something if she had lived long enough. But she died in the meantime. When they held a post-mortem, they found out the old woman, some time in her life, had swallowed a fishbone which never passed her stomach, and eventually it killed her. Thar, says Dr. Ludy, what did I tell you? You'll admit, I reckon my diagnosis of the disease was right after all. Only I made a slight error in locating the bone. Bone be splintered, says the other feller. He and I have been working neither the ailing parter than you. So they went on quacking thar and disagreeing over her until old Redpath got mad and hollered. Ye old melonheads, isn't it enough that I'm a widower by your fumbling malpractice without having ye wrangling over the old woman? So he put them both out and chucked their knives and saws ordered them. But as I was saying, that was the day of the funeral, and while I was proceeding from the church to the burying ground with Parson Coolridge at the head, with his long white gown on, we hove in sight, coming tearing down towards the parsonage. The minister was a feller that actually towed him on flowers, and he wasn't copping his sermons, he was fussing round among the posies. He had his garden chock full of all kinds of plants and shrubs. There you could see the snapdragon from Ireland, the fuchu from China, the snowball from Canada, the bachelor's button from California, and every kind you could mention. He had noticed the garden gate was open when the funeral passed and it worried him considerable. So when he heard the hooting and hollering and had sighted the crowd surging down the street and see the pig and I pointing in the direction of the house, he couldn't go ahead and know how. Turning round to the pallbearers who were puffing along behind him, he says, Ease your hands a minute, boys. Let the old woman rest till I run back and see if Dudley is going to drive the hog into my garden. Confound him! He continued, he's worse to have around the neighborhood than the measles. With that, he started back on the run, his long white gown to flying away out behind. The most comical-looking thing you ever see. And he could run, that Parson Coolridge, in a way that was astonishing. I reckon he hadn't stirred out of a walk before for thirty years. Yet he streaked it over the ground as though he was an everyday occurrence. His joints cricked and snapped with the usual motion like an old stairs in frosty weather. He didn't mind that so long as he could get over the ground. He was thinking of his favorite plants and the prospect of their getting stirred up, and transplanted in a manner he wasn't prepared to approve. He did jerk back his elbows, pretty spiteful now, I can tell you. Tried to make that get away fast. 
and put in his best strides. But when he saw he couldn't, he hollered, Keep that hog out of my garden, Dudley, or I'll take the law of ye. Don't get wrathy, Parson Coolidge, I shouted. I can't prevent the pig from going in. I have hold of the rudder. But I'll be boosted if I can steer the ship. With that, through the opening we went. Pig fussed at me arter, and a whole crowd of clattering behind. The judge was amongst them, but got left in the hind end of it, where the women were a-trotting. The parson's flowers went down with a broken necks quicker than lightning. It wasn't more than ten seconds until they were six inches underground, for the hog kept the circle around, and the hurraying crowd followed in arter, paying no more attention to the parson than if he had been a young'un running around. When they saw the crowd, the pallbearers and most of the people who were just following the remains through sympathy turned back on the run and left the mourners standing thar by the coffin. Oh, it was the most exciting time the village ever seed. The ground was too soft in the garden for the pig to get around well. Pretty soon he get out. I was awful tired, too, and was hanging a dead weight on him for the last ten minutes. When the boys see the knot on the tail, you ought to hear him a-hollering. Bats off! Bats off! They were suddenly claiming a foul, and surrounded the old judge demanding our money. But as the crowd was increasing, and the parson was even most crazy, the judge told him to come with him to the courthouse. He wouldn't decide nothing in the garden. As the hog couldn't walk, the judge took his tobacco knife, and cut the tail off, and took it along with him to introduce us proof. He decided in my favor. He said that I had held on to the tail, and touched nothing else and if I managed to tie a knot while running, I had performed a feat never before heard of in the country, so he paid over the money. The Parson Coolridge was the most worked up of any of them. He had had legal advice on the matter, but the lawyer told him to gin it up, for the judge was on my side. Besides, he shouldn't have left the gate open if he didn't want the pig to go in thar. After a while, he ginned up the notion of suing me, but while he stopped in the village, he never got over it. The boys had pictures chalked up on the fences and shop doors, so that wherever you'd look, you'd see sketches of the parson running back from the funeral, and me holding on to the pig's tail. He paid out more than ten dollars in small sums to one boy, hiring him to go round and rub out the pictures whenever he happened to see him. But every time the parson would start out through the village, thar on some fence or door, or side of a building, would be the same striking picture of him, a streak in it to head off the hog. So he would start the rubbing out, boy harder that one. One evening, he happened to catch that self-same little rascal hard at work, talking out the identical sketch on the cooper shop door. And the parson was so billy mad, he chased him all over the village. The young speculator had been carrying on a lively business. But after that discovery, there was a sudden falling away in his income. I tell ye, he made a plaguey stir thar for a while. And I reckon if Judge Perkins hadn't been on my side... I've been obliged to get out of the place. End of section 22. Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.